Hello and welcome to the Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here today with Pat Abendroth. Sunny Southern California where gas is, I saw it $6.39. It's outrageous is what it is. Uh Yeah. Did you feel an earthquake last night? I didn't. Did you? No, but Friday morning, I think at Mount Palomar, there was a three point something earthquake I heard. Yeah. I've ridden my bike up there before. I think biking, cycling might be interesting in an earthquake. In an earthquake. That would be wild. Okay. I was in the 1994 um, Northridge quake. And uh, people died. Kind of scary stuff. Crazy. Okay, more seriously, one of the priorities of the Pactum is to make sound theology accessible, bringing it down without dumbing it down. And this is no easy task, uh, but it is crucial. Clarity is not overrated, like Brian McLaren, the false teacher, said. It is underrated, and so is simplicity. So we are always on the Pactum, on the lookout for resources that help and that we can recommend. And two such resources are two books that are packed and approved. Yes, they are um, packed and approved. Right? Yes. We, we, I give lots of them away. I, we sell them at our church. Uh, we recommend them. Uh, and today we want to talk about Sacred Bond, subtitle is Covenant Theology Explored, and the unfolding word, subtitle is The Story of the Bible from Creation to New Creation. Yeah. Uh, and these two books have a lot in common. They complement each other, but not just by happenstance. They have a lot in common because they have the same author. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's with us today on the Pactum. So in addition to writing Sacred Bond with Michael Brown, as well as the unfolding word, our guest today is the pastor of the Escondido Orthodox Presbyterian Church, where he's been since 2003. Our guest today is Zach Keel. Hi, Zach, and welcome to the Pactum. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We want to get to know you a little bit more, Zach, other than what you've written. We are thankful for those books. We want to talk about them. But maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. I think you're married and have some children. Rumor has it you like to cook. Let let us get to know Zach a little bit. Uh, yeah, I do like to cook. Um, so my wife and I, we've been married for, well, our anniversaries tomorrow, 23 years. Congratulations. Uh, happy anniversary. Uh, thank you. Uh, and then three kids, so my oldest Now, don't in- give her that Pactum tumbler we gave you for anniversary. That's, no, just, like, no, that's no. just like a tip. <laughs> no, 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 okay. no danger. All right. I figured that okay, out. Okay, I just want to make sure that you have that figured out. We're all slow learners, but 23 years, I've learned one <laughs> or two things. Good, good. Um, so three kids, uh, two boys and a girl. My oldest is in uh, first year at Geneva College, so just finished that. So, okay. And then another Great. son and a, a girl, so that was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I like to cook. We do a lot of hospitality with the church, and uh, I have the church over once a month, and we do a, a meal, and I do themes. So I, I uh, cook around oh. the world. He really so, likes to cook. No kidding. This is good. So Tell us more. Well, all sorts of things. I've done um, a year through France in French country cooking, one uh, like four-course meal for each season. I've done um, a Peruvian night, uh, Argentina, American barbecue, uh, I'm cooking through the regions of Italy. Um, uh, wow! A German night, all sorts of different stuff. So it's 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 fun for the church. We have about thirty, forty people come over, and and it's a way for me to kind of get my creative side out behind the behind the stove. Wow. So I'm coming su- to a church near no, you. I, no, no, I'm super, I'm super impressed. But we're going to edit all of this out because no I don't want anyone <laughs> at our church. <laughs> I want everybody knowing to that, that Zach does this because now all of a sudden, oh. I'm going to look terrible. No, super impressive. What's your favorite cuisine to cook, do you think? Uh, It started out um, Italian. That's when I really got into it. Now I really enjoy Japanese. Uh, So Japanese Japanese and French uh, uh, cooking um, 
technique is kind of crucial to kind of no matter what um, what you're cooking, it kind of helps. I did an Indian night and I did like eight curries, but you can really up those curries with some French technique and stuff like that. So, um, so a little bit of everything, but Japanese and Italian. Super impressed. I, li- I like that. What you learn on the Pactum. I tell you. Right? For Who sure. Knew? Right? That's crazy awesome. Okay. We're here on the Pactum today. We do want to talk to Zach about more than just food. Oh, that's right. Remember, that's right. He, he wrote a couple great books that we recommend. Uh, maybe we could t- start by talking about Sacred Bond. Um, is it true? We want to know. Is it true that it took two of Mike Horton's students to write an introduction to covenant theology in order to understand his introduction to covenant theology? Is that true? <laughs> Uh, it's been rumored. <laughs> okay. Perfect. <laughs> I won't confirm or deny. Okay. That, oh, that sounds like a Dave Andrunen answer. You, you sound like an attorney. Yeah. So, right? <laughs> uh, I've heard it's true. I think I may be – I'm not sure. I may be – I may have even heard Mike Horton say such a thing. So I had a class with Mike one time on covenant theology. It was a great class. Uh, really appreciated it. Appreciated it a lot. Uh, and we had to read his introduction. And I thought, I thought to myself, in all sincerity, somebody needs to write a simpler introduction than this. And I wasn't even praying, and the Lord answered the prayer that wasn't even a prayer because, uh, thankfully, you and Michael Brown wrote a great introduction. In all sincerity, um, well, thank you. we love it, love to promote it. It's very accessible. Thank you. Yeah, well, uh, Mike uh, reached out to me before we started writing it, and one of the reasons was he was doing membership class, and, and he would introduce Covenant Theology, and he would ha- hand out Mike's book, Mike Horton's book, and so often people are like, I don't get this. Hmm. So uh, it was that reaction. He then called me up and said, hey, let's write this book together, and the rest is history. Very cool. Awesome. So let's talk about your brand of covenant theology. Um, there are different kinds of covenant theologies, if you will. Uh, what kind is yours? Is it monocovenantal? Is it bicovenantal? Let's talk about those kinds of things. Because lots of people think, oh, it's covenant theology. It's kind of all the same. And it's, we don't think that's true. No, it's definitely not true. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I would think of it as more classical reformed okay. um, in that sense. Uh, note uh, in Sacred Bond, we did uh, each chapter, we reached back and showed the roots of this, whether in Calvin or Turretin or Hodge or um, Burkhoff, etc., Bavink. And so in that sense, it was very important that we did something that was historical mm-hmm. as well as biblical. So in that sense, our goal was to show that it naturally arose out of Scripture and it conform to what Protestant reform scholastics had been teaching really since the 15th and 16th century. So in the broad scheme, that's how we would define it. Within that, there's still slight differences. So the mono, in my opinion, the monocovenantal view is somewhat unique to the 20th century. Okay. What, what does it even mean? Yeah. Well, again, people will define it differently, but typically the monocovenant view will deny the covenant works with Adam. Okay. And then they will um, say there's only one covenant of grace from Genesis 3.16 on, and often they will deny the pactum. Okay. Um, there is a variation of that where they would affirm the covenant works and only then uh, affirm the covenant of grace and then deny the pactum. So we think confessionally all three are, are essential, the pactum salutis, the covenant works, and the covenant of grace, as well as then... Uh, we think it's important to see the variations, particularly the difference between Abraham and Moses, is crucial mm-hmm. in, in in a proper and what I would say a thick and mature understanding of covenant theology. And thus, in Owen and others, you see they they understand that 
Abraham and Moses and the way they relate is crucial to the way we understand the the pactum and the covenant work. Okay. So pactum listeners, oftentimes we talk about law and gospel. They're both important, but they're distinct. Uh, and it's important that we don't blur them, that we don't have gospel. Right. And so it would relate to what Zach is talking about. If you, if you don't have a covenant of works, covenant of grace distinction, you're probably going to have justification by faithfulness other than faith alone in Christ alone and that sort of thing. Would you agree, Zach? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, okay. I remember reading a monocovenantal that said about Adam, Adam just had to be a good son, and if he was a good son, his father would have granted him eternal life by grace and were in the same exact position. Okay. Which, that would blew me away. Right? Hmm. So you have issues related to justification that are really important if yeah. we don't have the strong distinctions. And so I really appreciate your book because it makes these distinctions clear. Yeah, and I think important. it ends up safeguarding the gospel and things like the doctrine of justification. And so... Listeners, when you hear covenant theology, you might hear that you might think, "Oh, that's good." Just uh, buyer beware. Do a little bit of research before you invest in that sure. timeshare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> read, read the fine print, mm-hmm. and people won't say I'm a mono covenantalist, but they're going to say things like "everything is grace," um, kind yeah. of thing, or "everything is a mixture." We want to see the distinction. Both are important, uh, but Sacred Bond does an excellent job making the distinction, talking about the importance of both of those. So we are appreciative of that. So let's, let's transition a little bit, Zach, and let's move forward and talk about the relationship between sacred bond uh, and the unfolding word, the other volume we want to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, would it be right to say sacred bond is systematic theology? And if so, the unfolding word would be, what, how would you categorize it? Yeah, yeah. If you want to say sacred bond is more systematic theology, um, the unfolding word is more just exegetical uh, exegetical the- uh, theology. Mm, it's got a biblical theological color to it. Uh, it's got a canonical aspect to it. Um, so yeah, good. Um, yeah, good. And I, one thing I appreciate about the unfolding word, which surveys Genesis to Revelation, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll talk more about the formatting, and does a great job with that. One thing I appreciate about this book, and I almost accepted it before I even opened it. I thought this is going to be good because Zach co-authored Sacred Bond. It's going to reflect that same kind of theology, mm-hmm. which is a great blessing and a real positive. There are so many biblical theologies, so many surveys, and it seems good because they follow the Bible, but we all have a, a system. We all have some sort of grid that we work with. And uh, I'm thankful that you have the sacred bond grid, if you will, (laughs) and it shows up in the unfolding word book. So uh, that's why we would recommend both of these works. It's going to help you not become confused when you're reading the survey uh, because Zach isn't turning his theological brain off Mm -mm. as he's commenting on Bible verses. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it has theological sanity, the unfolding word does, as in it is – Classically covenantal. Let's move on to another question that we might have, uh, and that would be the 13 chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you do that on purpose because that's a quarter, uh, or did it just happen to be that way? Uh, because it's based on my English Bible class that I've been teaching at, at Westminster uh, Seminary, California for almost 20 years now. Okay. So one of my students who took the class knew uh, one of the editors at uh, Lexham Press. And basically was uh, the persistent widow for me. I didn't ask. I wasn't even thinking about it. But the student uh, 
you know, kept at the editor and they reached out and then asked me and gave me a proposal to write it. So it's based upon that. And it's a 13 week um, semester. Obviously, that m- m- matches with a lot of Sunday school programs. So in that right. sense, I wasn't going to uh, I thought changing it, I could have changed it from the class and added more or few, fewer chapters. Um, but I thought, well, I'll just keep it the same uh, sure. in that sense. I'll- Great. I thought it was on purpose. It didn't dawn on me that it was 13 chapters till I was on my way here to California and I was looking at the book again on the plane and I thought, 13 chapters? Perfect. So I sent an email to one of our elders and said, this would be a great Sunday school class, 13 weeks for a quarter. He said, I just ordered it. As soon as I sent the email, he sent one back and said, I just ordered it. So It it also... uh, uh, matches another biblical imagery. There's uh, 12 tribes of Israel, but actually 13. Oh, okay. There's 12 apostles, but actually 13. So this is like, this This fits with our Gnosticism episode. <laughs> it's not it's Gnostic, like the, it's, it's just... It's the super secret knowledge super secret. why there are 13 chapters. Yeah. All the insider info. It's yeah, exactly. so good. Yeah. <laughs> Zach was nervous. He thought it, we were really accusing no, him yeah, of no, being no, a Gnostic. No, no, no. We just finished a series called Help from the Heretics. Oh, nice. So that's why we were thinking yeah. about Gnosticism. And I think when we interviewed Chris Larson, we talked about culinary Gnosticism. Yes, we did. Yeah. And order, Gnosticism just keeps coming that's up right. every episode. Ordering off the secret menu in and out right. is kind of a Gnostic culinary Gnosticism. Right. Yes. <laughs> Animal style. Right. Do you do animal style? Do you eat uh, in and uh, out? Of course, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Culinary Gnosticism makes me think of veganism. So, <laughs> Oh, no, we're not going there. No, no, we're not yeah. going there. We're, we're just talking about getting the Neapolitan shake and okay, things like yeah, that. Definitely. It's not actually, special injury. Yeah. Yep. Fun, fun, fun. Well, All Zach, right. In the introduction to the unfolding word, uh, you mentioned some hurdles. Yep. to understanding the Bible. Maybe we could talk about a couple of those sure. uh, for a minute uh, since you offer some great help in those areas. Um, you say on uh, page two, first there is how we read. There are two ways of reading. What are those two ways? Help us out with that a little bit. Maybe some insight. Yeah, so the, uh, so there's two ways that, that I like it, to think about it. It's a fast reading and a slow reading. A fast reading, you're reading a whole book in a sitting or two. And you're trying to map out the stories, the big theme. So again, you're looking at the forest. Hmm. Um, The slow reading is where you're looking at uh, syntax and parsing and uh, it's uh, it's looking at a tree and it's analyzing it. Hmm. And so I think a lot of our Bible studies, um, you know, you pick up any Bible study and they favor one or another. And they're both legitimate. The difficulty is, is we have to hold them together Hmm. because I think... A lot of times you'll pick up a Bible storybook and it talks about these big overarching themes, da-da-da. And I read it and I'm like, well, that's a mistake, that's a mistake, that's a mistake because they're not <laughs> focusing on First Samuel 14 and what actually happened. Hmm. Um, and they, you know, again, they just have forgotten or weren't careful or whatever. And then there's other people you read and they're talking about this verse in Galatians, da-da-da, and you're like uh, – Two chapters before, if you would have read chapter one, sure. it contradicts what you're saying here. And so you have to balance those those two contexts of slow and fast, big and small. And so in my preaching, I preach through most of the Bible now. It's I, That's a slow read. I look at each verse, each word in the original, and you're really kind of pounding it out. Mm. Um, but then you go through the whole book, and then but every year I've got to preach through the whole Bible. And so in 13 weeks and try to reread most of the Bible in that period every year. And so that's a fast reading, and that's sure. the, those two disciplines have been um, really helpful for me and, and my growth, uh, both spiritual and, and academic. 
Um, but then I've seen it been a blessing to people. And mm. so the, trying to hold that together, and that's the – granted, it is a more of a fast read. It's a whole Bible in 13 weeks. Uh, as you read each of the chapters, in the, you'll see that I'm picking up details in the story and trying to get all the little things right. Mm-hmm. Um, besides some of the better scholars that I've been influenced by, they do this masterfully. Sure, uh, and it just requires just a high level of understanding, and and uh, it takes a lot of time and 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 effort. But uh, the the rewards and the fruits are tremendous. Yeah. So with the fast and slow reading, it's not a either or; it's a both and mm-hmm. approach as we look through the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah, that's super helpful. But I do think you mentioned Zach that you think um, some you said something along the lines of the common problem, maybe the bigger problem is going too slow uh, and not fast enough, and that resonated with me especially coming out of kind of conservative evangelicalism where you're going to preach one word or one verse, 52 weeks in Ephesians. And before you know it, <laughs> before you know it, you're making it say things clearly it doesn't, doesn't intend. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I think if you read it too slow, you really, you really have to come up with content. Uh, Paul didn't— good, good way to put it. You, yeah. know, you have to come up with that. And I think when you come up with that, it tends to be me-focused. How does this teach me about this? And so, and then it's every week. So, well, I had a car wreck. So, how does it help me with my car wreck? And how does it help me with I just got a raise or you know, whatever it is, good or bad? Well, if you read it on the big level, you're like, wow, this is a big story. And I'm part of it. It's my story. Sure. But it's not about me. That's it's good. about yeah. Jesus and That's his really glory good. and how I'm caught up in Christ and his glory. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I think balancing them will pull us out of ourselves, that inherent selfishness that we have, mm-hmm. and focus upon Christ and our Savior more yeah. and help us define that a lot of our what happens to us in our everyday lives are small. They're not that significant in, in the big scheme. Good, and, good. Um, Pactum listeners, I recommend – I've literally recommended to adults before that they read the Big Picture Story Bible. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, I, I say read it to your kids, but I really want the adults to read it because yeah. we don't know the big picture. We don't know the the big picture storyline, redemptive historical kind of approach to things. And uh, I think the unfolding word by Zach Keel is your, your next level. So <laughs> it does the same thing for adults, but it's capturing the big picture wonderfully and oftentimes we forget that. Yeah. So start with big picture story Bible <laughs> with your kids, pay attention, right. um, but then move on to the unfolding word and it really will help you see the forest and not only the trees. Yeah. A second hurdle, uh, Zach, that you mentioned uh, maybe is that uh, you say that the Bible is about Jesus, um, but it is not easy to grasp how the Old Testament looks forward to and speaks of him. We appreciate the honesty uh, there, <laughs> but maybe some help. What, what help do you offer for that hurdle and maybe the difficulty there? Well, I, I think one, I, the first help I would say is be patient. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we want to find Christ too easily and too quickly, mm-hmm. and that leads to shallow typology and uh, allegory. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, you know, I mean, finding Christ in the Old Testament, you know, uh, the first level is prophet, priest, and king through the offices. Mm-hmm. But then, But then you start to see He's there in so many more ways than that, in all sorts of uh, the way God expresses his love, the way characters um, are strong or weak. So I think that's like, for example, at times, Abraham 
acts obediently and he shows forth to us a positive aspect of Christ. Mm. The very next chapter, Abraham's weak and he shows his need of Christ. Mm. So each character in each story can change the way they show forth Christ in the gospel. Um, as well as Christ and his work is a mammoth, beautiful gem by which we can touch into love and sacrifice, uh, reconciliation, elder brother, um, high priest, a good shepherd. There's so many things. You know, I mean, we used to think of justification, sanctification, adoption. All those things have many facets. And so in the Old Testament, a lot of times one story is only pulling out a, a single thread from one of those great works of, of, mm. of, of Christ. And so in that sense, it, you know, I, I talk about like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, one of my favorite books, is that it's a microscope into what happened on the cross. Hmm. We have three hours when Jesus hung between noon and three and the, and the sun went dark. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was going on? Hmm. The Old Testament gives you the answer. Hmm. But it's through all these sacrifices that you have to weed through and be careful. And once you do, you see a lot. You see the love of God, yeah. his holiness. You see what Christ is doing, how his work takes away sin, propitiates wrath, destroys sin, and on and on I could go. And so I think that's the thing is you have to be patient. Um, and um, yeah, it's so beautiful. I mean, there's no easy way. You'd have to kind of pick out a single passage and kind right. of show how right. it's done, which, you know, in the in the book I kind of do at times as I go through the stories as you're pu- pulling those out. So in that sense, I would say the first thing is care about the story as a story or a chapter or a content, a law, etc., and learn it and then start to ask the question, how does it apply to Christ? If you come with, okay, this is going to teach me Jesus, sometimes you prejudice your own reading because oh, sure, then you're yeah. going to, you're, you want to find him in, in um, assumed ways you're going to think you're going to find him. Yeah. And at times, he's there, but it's in the way you would... N- you're like, I never thought it would be this. Hmm. And it's a, that's what's so beautiful. Hmm, that's good. I like the way the, the two of these play off of one another because of your insight. If you read quickly or, or quickly and slowly, the, the, the bigger picture might help you to see Christ because maybe he's not in every syllable or you know vowel. Sure. But if you look at the big picture of the whole book, for example – it might be easier instead of trying to find hidden meaning in one word or something like that. Yeah, the, the passage that comes to mind is number, uh, Nehemiah 3 when they start building the wall and there's a circuit. All it does is describe going around the wall and clockwise thing, going around the wall mm-hmm. and saying so-and-so built this, so-and-so built this, so-and-so built this. Where's Christ? Mm. He's there. By one point, it goes by and says, and he built the wall by the tombs of the king. And he's there by being absent. That after exile, the the key thing, the promises they had from Isaiah were the king's going to come back and he's going to be glorious. And here's Nehemiah building the wall and there is no king. Mm. And that's the crucial thing. It's like the God has given us the land back. He's given the temple back. But where's the king? And this becomes the key aspect in which their faith, the faith of Nehemiah and the other saints of the Old Testament – Look forward to Christ. Mm. And that anticipation, I got the land, I got the temple, where's the king? Mm. And and that's like 
All we have is a tomb. I think if this were some kind of uh, fundamentalist Baptist church, we could have an altar call, uh, and <laughs> I'd, co- I'd come forward. <laughs> right? I see that, I hand. See that hand. The buses will wait. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, it, it warms my heart just to consider such things. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's awesome. Yeah. So let's talk uh, maybe about reading the Old Testament and interpreting the Old Testament from a Christian perspective, uh, a Christ-centered perspective in light of the pactum. So earlier, oh, yeah. you mentioned the Pactum Salutis. Um, here on the Pactum, we're big fans of we, the, of the we, Pactum. We really we just have to say that. <laughs> but if you want to talk about how that helps us to read the whole Bible, starting in Genesis, as Christians, because we know, we know the Pactum. We know something that happens before Genesis is what I'm getting at. I think our listeners might be intrigued to hear you talk about that, if you would. Well, there's a, yeah, I was, as we were talking or listening to you guys earlier, I was thinking, well, I could, I could plug your podcast because to some extent, so it's something that is mentioned in Sacred Bond about the importance of the Mosaic Covenant. Mm-hmm. And then is teased out in unfolding word as I, I go into the sacrificial system. That basically, why is the Mosaic Covenant, why does it have this strictness, this strictness of righteousness and holiness mm-hmm. is because it's the earthly analog of the pactum. The pactum is the Father and the Son covenanting, and the Spirit will apply, that the Son will come and obey perfectly the law that we failed to do. But that's in heaven. To be a high priest, he's got to be like us. He has to have been under a law that humans in history, in real life, were under, tried to uh, obey, completely failed. So when Paul says born of a woman under the law, he by saying under the law, he's thinking of pactum, that Christ, to be our high priest and to fulfill the pactum, he has to have an earthly analog. Mm-hmm. And so if you turn Moses all into grace, you're weakening the pactum, you're weakening the active obedience of Christ, and thus uh, eroding our doctrine of justification. Mm-hmm. And so... So in that sense, the sacrificial system and the strictness of it, the the way it's so holy, so demanding, so uh, focused on justice and righteousness, that shows how holy God is, how far we fall as sinners, and what Jesus did for us. And so, yeah, I mean, and and this is a quote I got from a a classic reform guy, um, and uh, that he mentioned this in passing, that, that Moses is necessary for the pactum. And it's stuck in my mind this probably 17 years ago (laughs) and just seeing how that's fleshed out as I've went through and become a student of all of God's word. And so so that's the first plug for Pactum is the importance of the theocracy and the Mosaic. Right. Excellent. That wasn't what I was thinking, but I'm glad you went there for sure. Yeah. So now let's talk about hermeneutics as far as everything is happening in all of the Old Testament history because of the Pactum. How is that so? Yeah, to some extent, I think, you know, you take a passage like, so Ephesians 1, Mm -hmm. before the foundation of the world, in him we were predestined. And once you see that, then as you come to Genesis and, 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 and his creation and him creating in a Sabbath pattern, which is an enthronement pattern, him, um, uh, creating Adam as his vice regent in the garden, um, to, uh, to be priest and king, and to then populate and you know be fruitful and multiply, then all of that then you can see this is one part of eternity, God's promise of mm-hmm. eternity, and here the first Adam is setting us up for what the second Adam is going to do. Right, right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's integral. 
And, and as we read the Old Testament and we see Israel's history and progression and things moving in a certain direction, they are moving in a certain direction because it's been predestined. Yep. It's all going to happen for sure, culminating with Christ coming and the cross and the resurrection and ascension. Yeah, to some extent, uh, the pactum allows us to put theological content to Joseph's statement at the end of Genesis. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And so all this, uh, all this um, sin and rebellion of Israel, and it seems like a train wreck, uh, the Lord means it all for good. And, uh, and it's all uh, part of the Old Testament plan that he's fulfilling to save the elect and to lead them to Christ in which the pactum is then ratified in history. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So if people want to maybe get in touch with you or connect with you, Zach, how can they do that? You're hard to find on social media. Yeah, I don't do social media. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I know they can find sermons on Sermon Audio. Yeah. Some of the website of the church is the probably the website thing. of the church, escondidoopc.org. Yeah. And find you there and also on Sermon Audio. Excellent. Thank you so much for being a part of the Pactum today. No. We really appreciate it, Zach. This has been a delight, and I think a lot of people are going to benefit from it as well as from your writing. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Glad to do it. Yeah, thanks. For all of you in the Pactumverse, you can be in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram. You can be emailing us, connect at thepactum.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on The Pactum. Thank you.